following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Good morning. Let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6. We're going to break away from Obadiah this week. It is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, man, I'm so glad to be together, though, worshiping our God in the beauty of holiness. Those aren't just words I say. What I mean by that is if... I were up here on my own righteousness or holiness, we'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> or if you're coming to present yourself in all the good stuff you've done all week, I'm pretty sure we all realize where we'd be. We're thankful that we worship together the shed blood of Jesus Christ that makes us sons and daughters of him on his righteousness, not our own. We have no merit that earns us a place in his kingdom, but rather through the blood of Jesus Christ and of his precious promises, he has made us his own. And we worship him for that. Um, I'm thankful, man, I've thought about this a couple times this week. I'm thankful for his forgiveness, both when I accepted Christ, all that he's saved me from, forgiven me for my sin. Today, the sins of my own thoughts or in motivations or the things that I will go home and sin against my wife or my children, against my God, he forgives me of this. And then the next day, and the next day, as we continue on as pilgrims, our own sin struggles, we've talked about and prayed about this morning, we know that he has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. And so we respond in thanksgiving and joy. We are, in a sense, a very joyful people because we realize who we are, a sin-cursed people who love to rebel against the Father, and yet he has given us his spirit and worked in his Son so that we might know him and be reconciled to God as joyful sons and daughters of Christ. Um, let's begin by reading Ephesians 6. We're just going to read one verse. I'll read a little bit of a context later on, um, but we're just going to read Ephesians 6. Um, verse 4. This is the word of God. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together and I'll use Paul's words in Ephesians 3 to lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. Our God, we need you. We're hopeless, lost, rebellious in our own pride, and laziness, our own lust and bitterness, our self-reliance, our fear, our rebellion. So we come to you as a needy people. For this reason, we bow our knees before you, the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We pray that according to the riches of your glory, you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings. Lord, we want you to do this so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. So give us that faith that we who know you, already being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to comprehend with all the saints was the breadth and length and height and depth, and that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. We need you to do this in us this morning and every day. And because you have made yourself known to us, God, we're confident that you will answer our prayers. You tell us to pray this way. You are the only wise God, the one who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us. And so we pray that you would be all to us. I pray that you would be all glory in the church and Christ Jesus, and that we would spend time in the word in a way that would honor you. Lord, may Christ be praised. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. This past week, I spent some time with my family uh, at the beach, 
And one of the mornings, uh, my oldest daughter, Afton, came in. She's the one with fiery red hair, if you don't know, uh, and pale skin like me. One morning, she came in saying, oh, Dad, my, my shoulders are really sore. And as you can guess, we're at the beach, and Kristen and I both were thinking, oh, no, something that happened, she didn't quite get recovered, or maybe she didn't get the proper application the first time. And of course, Kristen was very sympathetic and tried to help her and love her and try to provide her with some relief. And I'm, of course, calculating, okay, how do we figure this out to get this thing taken care of and get tough, come on, all these things. But thankfully, thankfully, me, the wise sage father, did not allow my blurting out to say something this stupid, something more like, you should have put on more sunscreen, or did you reapply when you were supposed to, or did you get all the areas that you were supposed to to make sure you don't get these burns? Thankfully, I did not say that, um, and I came along with Kristen and, and helped her. Now, just let you know, us fair-skinned, uh, red-haired people, um, we just burn more easily. It's just the way of my life. I just want you to know, just let you in on a little secret. This is a lifelong struggle. And I know how to deal with it, you know? It's either that I got to lather on a ton of sunscreen, 50 or 60 SPF, or the famous, you know, swim shirt, one or the other. Those are the, those are the choices I have. Um, sunscreen is a way of life for me. That's just the way it goes when you're pearly white. Um, but I, I, I went, I sent Afton out, and she started some breakfast, and I went to the, get a shower. And I got into the bathroom, and I took my shirt off, and man, something hurts a little bit. And you know where this is going, right? I look in the mirror, I've got three splotches of red on, on me right here. I've done my face, I've done my neck, I've done my chest and my legs, everything out. I've got these three splotches of red right here. And in that moment, I said, thank you, Lord, for helping me not upbraid my daughter. Like, I know that uh, this is exactly what I told her not to do. I was going to tell her not to do. Isn't that so much like fatherhood and parenthood, though? Like, maybe, maybe it's just me. I've done things before where I tell them, you should do this. And what they don't know is I'm struggling with the exact same thing over here to do that very same thing. Oftentimes, I feel like I'm a walking hypocrite. I'm supposed to be teaching them in a certain way. Don't do this. Do this. Try to do this. Make sure that you think about this before you do it. I'm struggling with the exact same things. I should have told Afton, you know, like, be tight on all your sun, you know, sunblock application and make sure. But, like, I wasn't making sure. Apparently, I wasn't very good on my sunblock application. And I was walking in one sense as a hypocrite. Anyway, in that moment, I was very glad that I hadn't dealt with it the wrong way, and God was gracious to me. This seems, though, like a common problem in my own parenting, and I'm sure if you've been around parenting long, either by watching others, or if you are a parent, you understand this in some way or another. We ask of our children to do certain things, or we teach them in a certain way, and we know that we have the same root problems of sin in our own hearts struggles of discipline or laziness or lust or anger or whatever the thing is, uh, they continually come out in us as well. Today's Father's Day, and of course that may mean several different ranges of emotions. For some of you, you may have a day of rejoicing. Maybe you had a great dad. So others of you had a terrible father who treated you very poorly. Others of you may not have had a father at all. Some of you are just wondering, man, I'm hoping to get my, my new tithe today. I don't see a lot of new ties here today, so maybe we're in a different generation. I'm not quite sure, but uh, some of you may have gotten your Father's Day gift. Maybe some of you haven't. Um, everyone has had some interaction or at least been affected by a father at some point by the fact that you're here today. You have had a father in some way. But that doesn't mean that you know what it means to be a good father. You guys have probably heard talks on, or maybe um, you've read some articles that give you like uh, the, the top things, the, the, the character qualities, the behaviors of good fathers. 
I was perusing the internet trying to figure out some of these top 10 things. Came up with a couple different lists that uh, struck me. A good dad is one who's a disciplinarian, one who allows his kids to make mistakes, one who is open-minded. He teaches his children to appreciate things. He accepts his kids that they aren't exactly like him. Uh, he spends quality time with his kids. He's supportive and loyal. He always leads them by example. Um, he challenges his kids. He teaches his kids lessons. He protects his family at all costs. He shows them unconditional love. That's the first list I looked at. Here's another one of the five qualities that make for the best dads. They are firm, yet gentle. They know how to have fun. They're willing to use their imagination. They're willing to be the bad guy when necessary, and they know how to treat women. That's a, that's a good list, too. One more. A good dad loves and protects his kid's mom. A good dad provides for his family. A good dad is a disciplinarian. That came up again. A good dad is not focused on raising good kids, but on raising good adults. That's good. Uh, a father leads by example. Dads are servant leaders. Fathers are supportive to their kids. Fathers are slow to anger. They love their kids. They are patient. Good dads are dependable. Kids need a dad that is compassionate. A dad who plays with his kids. A good dad is present and involved. And a good dad is protective. That's quite a list. All kinds of different character traits and, and qualities and behaviors that are good for us to pursue. And I think that a lot of these are really good ideas. And a lot of them are strictly based in Scripture even. Things that we're called to do as men, as fathers, as parents in general. But this kind of approach, I don't know if you're like me, can be absolutely overwhelming. It's got a huge list of things. And when I start looking at my life, it's a huge list of things that I'm not doing just awesome at. I don't know which thing to do first or where to go here. And if I feel like I hit one and then I haven't, don't do these other two very well. And it's like just overwhelming altogether. Today is Father's Day. And I don't want us to miss what God has called us to centrally. Today, uh, we, we, we talk about fathers. We talked a few weeks ago about mothers on Mother's Day. We talked about the sacrifice that it takes for a mother to be concerned before God as she gives of herself as an act of worship in this thing we call motherhood. Today, I simply want to go back and talk about what a Christian father should look like. I want to simply go back to Paul's words in Ephesians, as we read, encourage you, fathers, with what you probably already know that you're supposed to do, but you need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. I have one main point today. So if you, if you walk away with anything, this is the way that I want, what I want you to walk away with. Be Christian fathers. Be Christian fathers. Now, there's not any special magic in that. I recognize that. It seems an obvious one. Okay, well, well obviously, I'd, I'd want to be doing that. But if, if you can remember anything, I want you to think about how do I be a Christian father? I'm making the point here right from the beginning. I want you to catch this. I'm saying that it doesn't take much for someone to be a father. It's not that difficult of a thing to happen. We understand that it's been happening for many, many years. But I'm talking about being a Christian father and all that that entails. I'm not just talking about being a father. I'm not even talking about just being a Christian. I'm talking about being a Christian father here. Uh, if you think about it, you know, to have children by simply having children, it doesn't mean that you've done your job to be fruitful and multiply. That creation mandate didn't stop at just simply having physical children. As the Bible unfolds, we see actually it requires a great deal of parents to nurture and bring their children along and grow up a generation who knows God. It's far different than just simply having children. Um, so today, this sermon will be thoroughly practical. I thought about doing a theological look at, uh, at God the Father 
And I think we probably will do that someday on Father's Day. But today, I simply want to kind of zone in on an application to fathers. But that doesn't mean that we all cannot grow from this exact text and from understanding who our God is and what he requires of fathers. Obviously, if you're a mother, you can see a lot of the application in this as you join together with a father, with your husband, to do this work of parenting. If you're a child growing into an adult, someday you may be a father, or you may be married, in a sense, to someone who could be a father. Uh, as you, maybe you'll be an adult who does not get married or does not have children at all. That's exactly what a lot of us are dealing with still. I'm like, what does that mean? This is not for me whatsoever? No. These are unbelievable ways for us to see that we are a part of this endeavor. It doesn't just mean that we're all in this together. We're specifically going to be responsible for the children that we have. But God has given the body of Christ to train children, to teach them the gospel, to make sure that they understand what it means to follow Christ. It should be something that each of us are involved in. We saw about this, we saw about this in our talk in the Biblical Manhood and Womanhood series. We realize that training up one another and one another's children is this act of discipleship, of Christian growth. We want to train our children in the truth, encourage them in righteousness, and watch them be led to Christ, recognizing that that's what we can do, and we pray and we ask God to do these things. We cannot change their hearts. But we've been tasked with this. So I will mainly be speaking to fathers today, but today's message will certainly be important for each of us to receive. This is what I want to do. I want to give you three things to consider when it comes to being a Christian father. This is nothing incredibly deep. It will be things that are foundational, though. Number one, pursue Jesus Christ. Be a Christian. Pursue Jesus Christ. And by the way, you're going to find out that a lot of this has to deal with everybody, not just fathers. Pursue Jesus Christ. Number two, raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's Ephesians 6.4. And then lastly, Look to your heavenly Father for grace. Those are the three. We'll work through these all together. So let's start with number one. To be a Christian father, you must, number one, pursue Jesus Christ. You must be a Christian disciple. Uh, allow me just to begin with a passage that Jordan actually already read at the beginning, if you remember this. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 through 6. In this passage, you saw this, this, this putting up of those that are going after idols or those that might have eaten food that was offered to idols those that have recognized that there are other gods or lords. But here we see that Paul is clearing all those out, saying, no, 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 there is only one God here. He is showing us that there is no other God than that which is the Lord of Israel, manifested in the flesh as Jesus Christ. So listen here. Verse 4, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, are, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now, if you and I believe that we are up to the task by ourselves or by the aids of other gods, these other lords, Perhaps for us, it's other people might come along with some good tips. Perhaps it's a certain methodology in parenting. If we think that's enough, we will fail in the task that we've been called to as Christian fathers. There's only one through whom we exist, and it's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Think about Jesus' words in um, John 15. You know this section. This is the part where we talk about the vine and the branches. 
Let me just read a few quick verses from John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The fruit we're talking about bearing this morning is being Christian fathers or parents or those that are on this endeavor together. There is no other place of blessing except the vine. There's no other source of life and strength, if I can use the analogy. There's no other place of sap that will allow us to actually produce real fruit. It is only in Jesus Christ. We must have Christ and Christ alone. And this is why Paul said in Philippians 3, he talked about the surpassing worth of Christ. Remember this? But whatever gain I had, whatever awesome fruit seemed to be out in front of me, right? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't love him with your heart, soul, and mind, there's no way you're going to be a Christian father. It's absolutely impossible. It's not a list of moral things to do. It is life coming from Christ through us that produces real Christian fruit. It can only happen through him. Don't get me wrong, you can be a good father or a moral father and teach all kinds of good things. But you cannot please God outside of Jesus Christ. You cannot bear honoring, God-honoring, life-giving fruit that is required by God. You'll try to produce fruit, but you'll never measure up to what he requires. That's why we need to be connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. We have to begin and end our pursuit of Christian fatherhood in the person of Jesus. That's not surprising necessarily, but so easily in the practice of it, we get, we jump to all the different tricks and the tips and like, hey, tell me your experiences. I'm telling you what you need. You need to go back to Christ. You need to abide in the vine and him in you. This is the only way you'll have true lasting fruit, that which brings honor and glory to the king. And by the way, if you do not know this king, if you do not love Jesus Christ, then your foolish pursuit is doing you eternal harm. So if I can just call out to you today, remind you that the gospel is his proclamation of Jesus Christ for you to turn from your wickedness and foolishness, your eternal damnation, and trust him and him alone. This is the gospel we proclaim, Jesus Christ, our Savior. This message is true for unbelievers, for sure, but everyone else, I wasn't just talking to those who haven't accepted Christ. This is still true for me and you. We must trust him or else we cannot produce any fruit. It's not as though we got saved over here and then we just do whatever we need to do to get the things done practically in our lives. We must continually be attached to the vine to produce fruit. He's the only one that is able to give us all that we need to be the fathers that he has called us to be. Therefore, pursue Jesus Christ. Start with this. 
Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Fight for joy so that you might receive more and more of him. Grace, it comes from him and him alone. So my first point in this, in this venture is that we would pursue Jesus Christ. Number two, raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I read you a huge list of different qualities and behaviors that good dads should do, but I want to actually bring us down and simplify it for a moment. What is the task of fatherhood that we understand? Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 gives us this relationship between child, parents, and fathers. Let me read it to you. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, for our time and purposes today, I'm not going to expound the entire passage here. I just want to zone in on verse 4, and specifically the second half. But the context is actually very important. In verse 1, children are told to obey their parents. Uh, This is a simple word that we know and describe as mother and father. But in verse 4, Paul addresses fathers specifically. It's certainly broad enough that we could use some uh, talk about fathers and mothers, but he uses this word on purpose. It's a different Greek word than that which we saw in parents. It's a different word. And of course, they're both broad enough to include both parents, but he changes words on purpose, guys, to show us that the responsibility will land with us to lead our families. Now, this goes against the grain oftentimes. This responsibility of raising the children seems to be woman's work in our day and age as though somehow that's what they're supposed to do. Or we just farm it out to some childcare somewhere. This is kind of below me. I go and I get the paycheck and I do the different things and I you know, protect the family. But raising children, that's, that seems to be something that's off to the side. It's not quite as important. That's just not the way that Paul, or the scriptures, by the way, speaks of it. It falls to you and me, guys, to be those who are raising children in the nurture and admonition or the instruction and discipline of the Lord. He specifically addresses the fathers and says to us that we are to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord without angering them unnecessarily, not provoking them to anger. The father's primary concern is to bring up his children or bring them to maturity or nourish them and nurture them in a way that is according to the discipline and instruction of God. Look at verse 4. Again, he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Guys, we have so many things. As I become a, slowly become an older man, I'm 37, I realize that my responsibilities get larger and larger and larger. And it keeps going, right? I know that. I talked to my dad over the weekend and I realized that his responsibilities are so far reaching, both in our homes, but then in our work, then in our neighborhoods, then in our world around us, to our fathers and mothers and different relationships that we have. We have so many things going on. But in this relationship, one that we have for a few short years. I don't know how, where you're at in your, in your journey here. We don't have this relationship forever. It changes after the child leaves the home. Doesn't mean they don't honor, but we realize that this is a short window of time. This relationship, we are tasked with bringing up or raising our children. It's the idea of nurturing or nourishing and bringing a person to maturity. It's an act of love, of course, but one with a goal in mind. It's headed somewhere. You are raising children to be adults. Uh, You are raising them to be independent, to be capable, good citizens that will make it out there, not that are going to be living in your basement forever 
We want them to be able to get out there and do what they need to do in the real world. But that's not the only thing. And you know that from a Christian perspective. He actually doesn't talk too much about all those things, about raising a responsible adult. He actually assumes those things. He assumes that anybody in society ought to be doing that. Paul is concerned how we do those things. He says that we are to raise these children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, we are to be raising children who understand that they are not only citizens of this world, that there is a greater sphere to the king who they must answer to. And we pray and work towards and instruct them that they might be citizens of heaven, not only of this earth. He's saying that our job is to show them that this truly is my father's world, that something broader is going on than we can just see with our physical eyes. It's our job to give them a true vision of reality, to preach to them the truth, both through our words and our actions, to show them who God is and to instruct them in living before him rightly. Furthermore, Paul is saying that we must bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, if you've memorized verses from old, from a different translation, it's probably the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Those are good terms as well. The terms when I was translating I thought was helpful, bring them up in the training and warning of the Lord. In other words, this is to be reactive to the things that are going on in their lives, but it's also to be proactive. Uh, there will be times when we react to the things that they are doing. Uh, this is for their own good. We are to guard them and more importantly, even warn them before these things happen. Careful of this path of wickedness, it is going to lead to destruction and harm. They will not always be under our care. We will not always be able to guard or rescue them, but it is for us to do, to prepare them for those things. We must teach them the results of sin and call them to respond to God properly. This is hard because to be honest, it's much easier to sometimes just simply isolate them don't see the rest of the world. Let me just keep you here and you just keep doing this and keep doing this and maybe when you're 35 or 40, we'll let you out and do your thing. No, our job is not to do that and to keep a close tether on us, but rather to prepare them to be young men and women that will go out and live in this world before God. We recognize this opportunity is supposed to be that we warn them about what's out there, guard them, and prepare them for this because it's also not just reaction to what's going on but also a proactive training of our children in righteousness. We're to instruct them. We're to teach them the word of God. We have exactly what we need, and you know it. Now, you and I might like it better if the manual told me, at this age, do this. At this age, then you're supposed to do this. At this age, do this. Uh, that is not what he has given us. He's given us something far better. It is for us to know God and to realize what he's called us to and make this rights as we train and teach our children. We do not have any claim on the results. Let me just make that clear. Um, we don't do this for the results that our children will do exactly what we say because I've had too many understandings and watched too many families who love their children, who have done a godly job of raising their children, and their children decided, no way, I don't want any of that. I'll go do what I want to do. We don't train so that we will somehow get the Golden Parent Award or that our children will be a specific way. We want them to be obedient and loving and God-honoring, but we parent to Christ. We, we are doing it for the honor and glory of God. If, you can't, if we don't keep that in, in view, you're going to constantly be disappointed. 
you're going to be constantly in suffering and sorrow over the, 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 what happens with your children because you and I don't have the power to produce what needs to be done. But we know before the Lord we can parent and do what is right, serving our children. And it may not give us the exact results that we thought that we should get, but we leave that in his hands. It is our responsibility to train them in this way. So what does this look like? I mean, what, 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 is it, what do we do in all of this? Uh, again, I said that we can look at the scriptures and there's so much here, but let me give you kind of a shortcut. I'm just going to read a few verses from the book of Proverbs, just the first three chapters. I'm just going to highlight a few things. And I want you to hear the nature of the relationship between the father and the son who's speaking to him. Let me just read a few verses. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 1.10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, if we're talking about wisdom, worldly wisdom, you would expect to be like, and so then you will live a great life and things will turn out well for you and will be prosperous. He doesn't say that. The response that he says is he's looking for, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Chapter three, verse one, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Verse 12, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. If you were to read all chapters one through eight, you would see this beautiful, tender picture of a father working with his son, his children, and teaching them the way of wisdom. And you and I know what the way of wisdom actually is. We know the Proverbs. It's not so that you can do shrewd in, in business deals. So you make sure you're prepared for doing this or that, the other thing. But rather, wisdom is that which is the fear of the Lord. His whole goal here is that his son and his daughter would actually be those who know the fear of the Lord. This will be the direction that will set their life properly. It will give them all that they actually need. Its application, of course, is for all of us when we read chapters 1 through 8. But this shows us a father teaching his children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, dads, here's a freebie. I'm not even started to do this yet, but I've thought about it several times. I would think I would like to lead my children through Proverbs 1 through 8 and teach them these things that this dad has taught to his children. Obviously, it's broader than just that, but it shows us this beautiful, tender relationship of a father taking this job seriously. Fathers, this is where we really need to take some time to consider our obligation before God to our children. So I'll ask you, here's the real practical stuff. How about family devotions? Are you calling your children to read the Bible with you, to pray alongside of you, to sing to our God? What about corporate worship? The way that you bring them to be with God's people, to commit to Christ and his people. What are you training them in the way that you bring them to corporate worship? How about individual instruction about all kinds of different things in life? Are you setting aside time to give them appropriate teaching for what they're going through? 
money, responsibilities, how to work a calendar, sex, all these different things that we need to understand. What are the, how does it work with a personal walk with God? Have you set aside this time to teach them in this way? I am not saying that you have to do it alone. By God's grace, there are many who have gone before us who have a lot of help for me, who I've grown a lot from and to help my own children. So I'm aiming at these things together. But it does mean that we are responsible to have these things happen for our children. We are called then to pursue Jesus Christ, to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But lastly, I want us to look back again. Look to the Father who is our example, our strength, and our refuge. Number three then is look to your heavenly Father for grace. And I really mean that word. For anything that flows out of the Father that we need, it is all gift. It is all grace. It is all blessing. There's no better way to, to start than from 1 John 3, 1 through 2. Let me read this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children. We see here, God is our heavenly Father. In Christ, He has made us His children. He is our perfect, chastening, firm, yet gentle, imaginative, patient, creative, teaching, protective, righteous, supportive, loving Father. We do not need to go any further than our own heavenly Father for us to know exactly what we ought to be doing. God is our heavenly Father. Listen to this. He says, see, behold, look. He's trying to get our attention, right? And then he points us to this. He says, he gives us this expression, what kind of love the Father has given to us? Now, this first part, what kind of, translates as an idea that really actually is, is translated better, almost like, of what country is this love from? Like, where is this from? It's an expression of astonishment. I've never seen love like this. John, it's almost like he wanders from the country and he's, he's, he's wondering what is, what's going on. This love is different from any I've ever seen before. This is what he's pointing out. But lastly, see that he says that the Father has given to us. Don't allow this little detail to pass us by. I said it before, but the Christian life is one of sheer gift, of grace, of blessing, of unmerited favor. Now, you may look around and see your experience and be like, I'm not hashtag blessed. Like, I, I don't have what all the other guys are rolling in. No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the fact that we looked in Obadiah 15 last week and 16, saw the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. That you and I, because of our sin and rebellion, it's a holy and perfect and loving God, deserve nothing short of judgment. And what has he done? But given us over an abundant grace, over and over and over again. The Christian life is one of grace, of blessing, God's common grace to each person on this planet as they wake up breathing or perhaps having something to eat or the sun warming their bodies. But it's God's immense kindness and grace to give us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. All of our life is due to the grace of God. It's meant to be this way. It's beautiful. It's, God gets glory when we look to him for grace. It is not as though he is a pitcher and when some of his grace pours out, he's lesser. No, 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 no. He's like an eternal waterfall, a fountain that continues over and over and delights to give grace to his children. 
It glorifies him when we ask for more grace. Give me more. I need your blessing because I can't do it. I know who I am. I've sinned against you, but you are constantly good. Forgive me and give me more grace. We honor him for his grace. When we enjoy his good gifts to the glory of him, recognizing that it's absurd that God would continue to give to us weak and rebellious people. So fathers, in your foolishness, I don't even know what you do all day, but I tell you, I can tell you right now, in your foolishness, in your bad priorities, in your mistakes, in your in, in, fill in the blank, may I remind you to look to God and cry out for more and more grace to be the fathers that only he can make you be. The rest is fake fruit. It's not gonna work. It's no good and it's unacceptable to him. Remember what James said in James 4, 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Make sure we get that too. Stop being ashamed that you can't do it. You never were able to. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to be so proud of it when you seem to do it yourself. You cut that off and you show yourself to be a proud person. He says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, humble yourself, delight in contrition. It's amazing. It is an offering to him, trusting that he and he alone can be the waterfall of grace to fill your life, particularly today for the grace that you and I need to be a father. It is because he is our good father that we are empowered to be fathers. And I'm not sure if you've realized it or not, but Jordan has based the liturgy today on this wonderful truth that God is our father. James 1, 16 through 18 read, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that he should be a kind of first fruits, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is our God, our Father. And so I pray that each of us would respond to this good father as we desire to be good fathers as well. Not in the world standard way of thinking about it, but as we stand before Christ, would we be Christian fathers? Again, I would say that there's three things that we can do. First thing is to pursue Jesus Christ, to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and to look to our heavenly father for grace. Again, this message, guys, uh, could easily be one of beating you over the head because we all haven't done a very good job of being good fathers. But it is one of grace. I can remind you, that's why we gather today, a joyful people because of the grace of God. Yes, we have things to do, dads, a lot of things that we need to do, massive responsibility. But I want you to walk away in humility, asking that God would give you his grace, that he would pour it out on you so that you'd be empowered to live as true Christian fathers. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, by proclaiming who you are, we do not wish at all to keep our attention from the Son and the Holy Spirit. We worship you in all of your beauty. There's no one like you, but this morning we thank you for being our Father. One who is loving, who chastens his children, who holds them fast, who has given his own Son, Jesus Christ, that we might be reconciled to you. We thank you for your love and ask for your care and your help and grace to be poured out on us. We are 
sinful, rebellious children. But we desire, Lord, you've given us repentance and we, we don't want to live in this state, so we ask for more grace to obey you, to continue to do what you've called us to do, that you empower us by your Holy Spirit's work to obey and be glad and rejoice in you. We thank you for your word and we ask that you would make us more like Christ this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray.